Elbua Cafe is a small not-for-profit coffee shop located in Hidalgo Nuevo Leon, Mexico. It sits in view of the majestic El Potrero Chico, a world-renowned rock climbing destination. Since 2010, thousands of people have come through our doors to partake of our amazing coffee, great food, and to share in our community. Everyone has a story, and I get to share them here. I'm your host, Jan, and I present to you Tales from El Buo. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Tales from El Buo. I am Jan, and today's guest is Jacob Hurd. Hi, Jacob. Hi, how are you doing, Jan? Good, how are you? Very well. Good. It's an early morning, and we both have morning voices as we drink our coffee and uh, wake up. Hopefully, we're woke <laughs> woke enough to uh, <laughs> to do the podcast this morning. Um, Jacob and I met four years ago. Four years, yeah. The first time he came through the bull, but also our families know each other in really random ways from South Carolina. Um my kids know his brothers and parents and um so we have had connection for a while this time jacob's down here on spring break with my son and some other friends mitzi and uh <laughs> jason so i wanted to have tell some of jacob's story because he has a great interesting story i think so jacob first of all how old are you where are you from what are you doing in your life right now okay well i am 22 years old um, right now, I go to North Greenville. It's in uh, the upper part of South Carolina called Greenville. Born in Anderson, South Carolina, and my parents had already been living in Venezuela. So they moved back to have me, and then we moved right back to Venezuela. Um, so I grew up there for the first seven years of my life, and then moved back to the U.S. for half a year, and then moved back down to Mexico, uh, a place called Chihuahua and then stayed there for about three and a half years and then moved back to the States. And I've been living in the States for about the past nine, 10 years. And where do you live? Um, I live in Tigerville. It's a very, very small town outside of Greenville, South Carolina. Did you go to high school in Tigerville? No, uh, I went to high school in Greer, which also isn't a big town, but um, yeah, at a little charter school, so. I know this area and it seems like you must have gone through quite the culture shock yes coming from chihuahua you were in a city in chihuahua yeah, right in the city what city were you in uh chihuahua oh in the actual yep. city mm -hmm. and then moving to a small little redneck area <laughs> yeah it was definitely a culture shock to say the least um do you want me to get right into mexico or should i start with venezuela well or? we'll start with venezuela okay. but i just um i just did a podcast the last one that i released was with andres who is a third culture kid um, yeah. And third culture kid is a person that grows up in another culture that's not their parents' culture. Yes. And you guys are a rare breed um, and a very different type <laughs> of person because usually you're chameleons. You can like yeah. mix in wherever yeah. you are, but you never know where you're from. Yeah. Is that how you feel like you don't really know what you are? Yes, pretty much. Um, I was actually having the same conversation last night. And yeah, I don't know. Like if anyone asks me like the question like where I'm from I just like I don't know like what to say or like but I feel like I can be comfortable in like almost any situation just because mm -hmm. I've been uncomfortable in so many situations so right yeah <laughs> I don't know it just seems like normal to me at this point a little bit so I yeah. like I like that part do you feel like you have a more a global outlook on things and like people that you know that have only grown up in South Carolina oh absolutely I so many people that I know don't 
like their world just exists in like a hundred mile radius and maybe they've traveled around like <clears throat> outside the state a little bit but it's just i don't know it's so much different like you don't realize like what's actually out there mm-hmm. it's just all like it's all between you and your friends and your families all around there and you don't i don't know they haven't had that experience of kind of i guess like being out there on your own and just meeting like people every day like different people you're kind of not to say that everyone's the same there but just you're meeting like very different types of people and getting out there getting out of your comfort zone and just really experiencing like other cultures which is which is huge i think for personal development like you need to you need to really like explore like other cultures and get to know people in different ways so do you feel like the fact that you're a third culture kid or the way that you've grown up which we will get into in a minute i promise but (laughs) um do you think that has made you have wanderlust i think so yeah i feel like because of my parents now all all i want to do is travel and experience new things which is really funny because my dad like doesn't understand why we want to travel and like go out there and explore everything but it's like i mean it was your fault like you're the one that did this to us (laughs) like you 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 brought us to the middle of a jungle and like raised us so it's always weird to to think that like i don't know they think it's crazy to travel but they literally brought their entire family into the middle of a jungle in venezuela and just raised six kids there like that just that blows my mind more than they think me traveling around like solo for through Mexico or Egypt or something like that is crazy but to me like their story is so much crazier like it's just insane what they've done okay so now we're gonna that's a good segue right there your story I don't know much of so I didn't even know that your parents were already in Venezuela Mm -hmm. and moved back to Anderson to have you yep all the kids were born in the U.S. so we were living down there well Eli and Nate were already born and then after that, it was we were just coming back every time my parents had a kid, just because it was easier for like a passport and get like citizenship. So they'd come back and have us in the U.S. and then we'd go right back down. And there's six of you. There's six of us, five boys and one girl. Okay, so <laughs> you don't like you were a baby in yeah, Venezuela. Yeah. How did you live? What was your living situation like? So for the first let's see first i think four years we lived in the city and we were kind of going out to this tribe they were called the Wadao, but we would go out there and kind of like set up a base and we'd be going back and forth but after about four years we uh eventually built a house out there and so it was just like a concrete house and um just like the living situation or yeah like what what was your house like i I didn't know if you lived in a hut or no um yeah we had like a relatively nice concrete house um pretty small i mean you just have screen windows no air conditioning obviously like we get all of our water from like the rain just like the rest of the indians did i i loved our our little house it was super nice i remember it'd be so hot there you just basically lay down on the concrete floor and that's what you do to get cold or you hop in the shower in the middle of the day or Mm -hmm. i don't know for for me i i loved it because i guess being a kid there it was much different for me than it was for my parents because it's just a giant playground for me at that point. Like there's just, I mean, you have fruit trees everywhere. All I did is climb trees and eat fruit and play with the Indians. And my parents had to really go through like, I guess all the, the harder difficulties of it. Right. You were just doing what a kid does. I was just experiencing it. It was, it was literally the, like, I don't know, for me, the ideal place to grow up as a kid. 
Like, um, did you speak the learn the language then? Because I mean, your friends were, <coughs> your friends were speaking that language. Yeah, um, I was able just to get like phrases across and like understand some things, but it's just such a weird and difficult language that it was really hard to like kind of get a grasp of. So I just knew like a bunch of random words basically, and I could kind of like communicate through that or just I don't know like sign language or something like that. Like their language is very strange. They have a lot of missing words. Like they don't have a word for hello. Mm -hmm. So to say hello to someone, you would like walk up to them and you'd be like, hey, you're picking your nose and like you, you tell what they're doing or like you're climbing a tree. And that's just how you say hello. They just have a bunch of words that like they are missing. And so the language just has such a weird structure that it's just very hard to follow. And your parents were there to translate yeah. into a Bible, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. No one had ever translated uh, their language at all before. So my parents had to go in there and learn a brand new language which they say takes about 10 years, and my mom did it in about four years, which still blows my mind. Yeah, did they ever get to work on that or? Yeah, um, and they also, they taught the Indians how to read and write in their own language, and so like they made books, like little pamphlets and everything, and like they would have like a school like every day for the adults just to basically learn that lang uh, their own language, how to read and write it, also so they could like, for translating the Bible and, and uh, just so they could kind of grow on their own and not so much just always through us telling them what it is so they mm -hmm. can actually experience it for themselves. How big was this tribe? So the tribe, the Wadao, they are, the tribe that we lived in had about 300 people in the village, mm -hmm. but it does extend farther out. Like there are different villages like down the river in different places, but our tribe had about 300 people and the, the little village was right on the river and it was probably only like a half a mile long and it just had a bunch of huts and everyone lived like 40 feet away from the river right there that's pretty cool i i think about gosh first of all my respect to your mom and dad like six kids in <laughs> i mean everything wants to like eat you out there you got jaguars and like caimans and anacondas piranhas like i don't know you would think that like one of us would get hurt but none of us ever got really badly injured at any point or I mean, sick. we all have, yeah, or sick, malaria, or any of that. I mean, we all got, like, some kind of, like, fever or something, but it was, like, I don't know, none of us never really got hurt in any kind of way. That is one thing that still really impresses me, the fact that no one got hurt or injured or sick or died even. Yeah, did you know. guys wear clothes, or was it, like, did the tri I mean, <laughs> tribe wear clothes? Um, so when you're younger, a lot of the kids don't wear clothes. It's not until you're probably, like, four or five and then you'll get like a pair of pants and then you kind of start wearing pants around for a while but you don't like most people don't wear shirts and then for us yeah we just wore shorts the whole time and that was pretty much it or just run out there in our underwear I remember <laughs> I met your brother yeah. and he was climbing like shirtless yeah. and just basically was never had shoes on while he was here climbing yep. and is that I how you are too yeah I think that's all come from like Venezuela a lot of our families like that more so Eli and me but yeah, we don't really like to shoot, wear shoes or shirts. You just, I don't know. That's funny. It's more free. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any, like, really uh, memory that stands out from when you were there that as a kid? Like, something that either was, like, scary or sad or, or happy? Like, Let's see. There's so many good little stories that I love to tell. Let's see. With this one about my brother I really like, and this is kind of a little scary to, like, think about almost. Um, he, he started hiking in the jungle just falling down this stream and after he was going down a little bit he turned around and well he thought something was following him for a while 
and then he decided to turn around because he kind of got scared and then as he was walking back he could see his own footprints and then right behind that he just saw like jaguar footprints right behind him for like a solid 150 yards oh my god it had just been stalking him for a long time um and then we also had another incident with uh, a jaguar where it basically got up in the one of the trees right on the edge of the village and it looked like it was just waiting to basically like make a move on like one of the indians or one of the kids or something and so one of the there was one indian in the in the town that actually had a gun and he was the only one that had one and he ended up shooting it and uh we actually all ate the jaguar like in the in the village wow which was uh it was basically like chewing gum meat yeah it's just so tough like they're just made out of 100 percent muscle uh-huh. so i don't know was That's that like a celebration to eat this jaguar? Basically, I think so. Like they, I don't think they would have normally like killed it, but just because it was just right there mm-hmm. and it just looked like it was basically like looking for trouble, they uh, they they killed it because we hadn't heard about them killing him before that. I mean, I'm sure they they have in the past, but it's not like something that they like want to do. I think. And while you were there, you don't remember anybody getting attacked by anything, like any tribe, not Indians, not or? by jaguar, no. No, not really. But they would, I mean, they do other crazy stuff. Like, <clears throat> I remember my dad, he was, uh, he was telling these Indians that not to, or be careful behind our house because they were roaming around behind our house. And he was like, there's a, there's a big like mud pit over there. And uh, we saw like three alligators in there. And so all the Indian like teenagers, they just ran back there and jumped in the pit and literally started wrestling the alligators and threw them up on, on the shore <laughs> or caimans. But it, I don't know, <laughs> like the, the way these people act is, it's just so crazy it's so like i don't know like ruthless or like savage yeah and then we'd also go out on the boat at night and if you shine a light in the water you just see i don't know like 50 pairs of glowing eyes it was i don't know very there's every everything out there wants to basically eat you which is once again why i don't understand like how none of us got hurt like it just it blows my mind um and your parents were letting you live like any yeah. kids. I mean, they weren't yeah. like, stay home and no. stay in the four walls. No, you just go outside and start playing with Indians. I remember one time I didn't tell my parents at all where I was going. And I just hopped in a canoe and it started going down the river. By yourself? No, with, with a couple other Indians. Oh, okay. But I remember that was probably one of the most times or one of the times they've been like the most angry at me because I probably disappeared for like three hours. And just with what's out there, like, it's just terrifying to think about like what what other things could have happened but we just went down the river and went fishing got coconuts like and came home and came back yeah <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> that's crazy i i don't think i've ever known anybody besides you guys that have grown up in like climbing trees yeah. and monkeys yeah. and um oh man the monkeys we had howler monkeys and they were basically like our roosters they at four o'clock in the morning you just hear them screaming for like an hour it was it was terrible and they're little creatures but they have like these huge voices yeah it's crazy and scary isn't it? yeah they sound very scary they do (laughs) so you're you're leaving venezuela Mm -hmm. was a very abrupt and brutal thing what happened there so basically somehow i guess the government heard about us being down there and the fact that we were missionaries they just showed up one day on boats and like the military did and just told us to leave. The military showed up in boats and came up and said, it's time to go basically. Um, so their, their whole thing was cause this is when Hugo Chavez was still president. And so he had a lot to say in this and he just didn't want 
like his excuses that we were messing with like their culture and so he didn't want us there like changing the culture or anything and so another thing that he did was that he brought them tvs and movies and actually a lot of them were just like pornos and i guess that was his idea of saving the culture and kicking us out instead and we were down there like it's not like we were just like because we can't just go down there and start preaching the gospel like my parents didn't even start preaching like the whole time the whole six years they were there um and so they basically like you just have to get to know the people first um but they had talked to a couple people about it but it wasn't like they weren't just like prophesying this like it was just very slow and that was another thing that made it super hard on my parents was that they like basically were about to start evangelizing and that's like right when we were getting kicked out and so my parents struggled with that for a long time did they say your dad was a spy yeah a spy we were mining uranium testing it on the children like just every excuse that didn't make any sense just to get us out of there how long did you have to get out uh, I actually don't remember quite how long it was. Was it really quick? It was, it was very quick, though. I do remember that. I, I do remember the morning of them just showing up and everyone with their assault rifles. Yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was it was very strange. Wow. And so they're your par- I think about your parents like having to go through this grieving mm-hmm. process, yeah. and they've got six kids that they've got to help through a grieving process. Yeah. Uh, you're torn from everything you knew, mm-hmm. and you move back to South Carolina for six months. Yep. Which is just a, like, get your feet on your, yeah. like, under you. Uh, do you remember that at all? Yeah. I um, actually really enjoyed the house that we came back to. Uh, we started, I uh, started, I think all of us went to the YMCA and all swam for, like, the YMCA. And it was really funny because all of us learned how to swim by, like, the age of, like, two or three, maybe even four. But we were better than pretty much everyone on the swim team. Like, we would pretty much win all the competitions. It was just so funny because everyone else there, I mean, it had just started so much later. And we were, like, eight years old and, like, swimming, like, I don't know, super fast. It was, it was really funny. You little jungle kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're probably, like, did not know what to think about you, yeah. you guys. So six months you were there recovering. Well, your parents were recovering. Yeah. You guys were kids, so you are probably just like, whatever, this yeah. is an adventure. And then you guys had were sent to Chihuahua. Yeah. What organization were you with? Do you remember? New Tribes Mission, oh, which okay. is I think Ethos 360 now. Isn't New Tribes who um, the Jim Elliott was with, like the so. guy that was killed? I think so. I actually, when you were talking about the jungles of Venezuela, I was like thinking about the end of this yeah. year movie and stuff. Yes. Wow, that's intense. Yeah. And so you moved to Chihuahua. Were you in a tribe there? also or no we we lived in the city uh, my parents started working at like a community bible college and they were basically just teaching the locals how to do the same thing that we were doing so it was just going out and being missionaries to the local groups around there mm-hmm. um so they both worked there and we went to a little missionary school right next to it and you were so you were in venezuela for seven years eight years yes yeah, se- about seven years eight. i was they were there for 10 years okay yeah. and then you moved to chihuahua how long were you in Chihuahua? We stayed in Chihuahua for about three and a half years, I okay. think. Okay. Yeah. And how was that? I mean, that's a big city, and mm-hmm. now it's another language you mm-hmm. have to learn. Yep. Um, I love Chihuahua. I think the... Because growing up in Venezuela, like, yeah, I had, like, good friends that were, like, Indians, but it still wasn't on, like, a very deep level just because of the language barrier. 
And so it was mainly like just my family. That's why I think our family is still so close today. So that's just like who we've always had. Um, but then, yeah, moving to Chihuahua, one of my favorite things was just getting to know the people there and the other missionary kids. Like that was when I first like started to get to know like a lot of other people. And I loved that so much. So just at the missionary school, you had people from all over the place and still getting to know just a bunch of different cultures. I, I loved that school. It was it was so much fun. And that was the first time that I went to like an actual school as well. Mm-hmm. We went to one for a little bit after we got kicked out of the, the tribe. We like still lived in the town for a little bit, but my parents didn't want to. Their heart wasn't like working in like the city in Venezuela. They wanted to work in the tribe. And so we ended up coming there. But yeah, it was like my first time like constantly going to school. And it seemed so weird to be in a classroom like uh, I don't know Um, that culture shock wasn't wasn't too bad I think it was also because there was just like a bunch of other missionary kids as well and so you kind of came from like same experiences like a lot of the other people were in other places and they ended up coming there Mm -hmm. so that one was a little bit easier and so you were there for three and a half years and then you moved back to South Carolina for good yes we moved back and we have been in South Carolina ever since in the in the same place. My parents work at a, a lookup lodge, which is a Christian camp, which has been like my my dad's dream like this whole time. And so we uh, I remember like the summer where he got offered a job to work there and it was it was his dream job. So he ended up taking it. Moving back to the U.S. was the definitely the hardest move for me, like Venezuela to Mexico, I think also because I was still young. It wasn't super bad, but moving from Mexico to South Carolina was really hard because I had made so many friends at the school as well. Mm-hmm. And then also just, I don't know, living in the U.S. was just a very strange thing for me. Yeah. It's just the culture is just, I don't know, or at least what I saw when I first got there is almost sad a little. It was it was really hard for me to notice. Um, like, I, I think I remember one of the first times that I got back, I met someone at like a soccer camp and then I went over to his house like a couple weekends later and his dad asked him to do something like some chore and he just said no and I was like oh my god (laughs) this kid's about to get beat like I thought it was gonna be like so bad and then they just kept on arguing back and forth and like I had no idea what to do like my brain exploded and I was just like I was scared like I like people acted like this Mm -hmm. and it just blew my mind and then just seeing like a lot of that like a lot of um, disrespect towards like family and, or maybe that's just because that was what I was not used to seeing. Sure. It it just that was very hard to get a hold of, and just how, I guess almost how vulgar people were in the in the U.S. It like just what people would talk about. I didn't know half the things they were saying, like cuss words or like stuff about sex. Like I did not. I was so behind on all of that just because I didn't need to know any of that. I don't feel like I had to, and it was just. I feel like I was definitely an outcast for sure. I I mean, I fit in. I had friends, but I was just much different than everyone else. How did you feel? uh, This is coming from one of my kids' observations back back when they would go back to the States. How did you feel about freedoms in the U.S.? Because you've been living in the jungle, like doing whatever you wanted, basically. What did you notice about that? Um, Let's see. I mean, I think... Well, coming from Venezuela, like, I mean, that's just the ultimate freedom for, like, a kid, like, anything you can have. And then going to Mexico, it was just because it was much more dangerous. Like, uh, I guess we always had to have, like, we always traveled in, like, groups of, like, two or three. If you went to the park or something, 
there was always just that fear of like, um, I don't know. I think there was just always a fear of there being a little bit more um, danger, I guess, because in, in Venezuela, I guess you're just worrying about animals and here you're worrying about people. And I think people are much more scary. So Mexico, that was when I first like kind of experienced like I need to be more careful and I don't have these freedoms because there's like government and laws and rules everywhere. And then going to the U.S., I feel like it wasn't too big just coming from Mexico. I felt a little bit safer there. Um, I could pretty much do whatever I wanted. And then moving to South Carolina, it was a little bit easier, I guess, just because we went like we were in like I guess like the outskirts of like any kind of city so mm -hmm. it was almost like almost like Venezuela again just to where like all I did was play in the woods and I guess everyone else was playing video games and stuff but none of us really ever got into that well you guys live at a camp yeah. basically yeah. it's so great yeah. <laughs> it's it's so nice just to have your backyard being a camp mm -hmm. there's so much fun stuff to do there and you have uh I, from what I've observed, you do travel a lot. Yeah. And I think Tried that's to. kind of a different, well, it's not different for me because I meet climbers at Vagabond, global vagabonds all the time, but yeah. that's not a normal American, um, suburban American, well, you're not suburban. And it's not a normal American mindset, honestly. Yeah. How has that been for you? Like you're in college, but you have this wanderlust. Yeah. And so what, what, first of all, where have you been? What have you done? Okay. Yeah, and it's also funny because no one from South Carolina, like especially South Carolina, you don't get a lot of travelers from there. My brothers, after we moved back, my brothers, they started doing the same thing. Like they would be going to different countries during the summer. And that was a part of it that also like encouraged me to do it so much. And it was really, it was really fun because I started traveling, I guess, when I was a little bit younger compared to other people. Like I went to Israel when I was 17 and especially over there, like young people aren't um, respected near as much. Like a lot of the bars there, you have to be like 25 to go inside. Oh, wow. Just because they don't want like the younger, I guess, generation to be in there. Also because they have like the required like military. And so they want to wait for like people to come out. And like, that's when you're like considered a man. So I remember having so many conversations where once I told them that I was 17, like they would kind of like walk away or just like not want to talk to me because they just thought I was like too young or, or something like that. But yeah, so I really love being young and traveling. I'm almost always the youngest person whenever I go somewhere. So yeah, I went to Israel because my brother was going to medical school over there. And then I, it was only for about three weeks. We traveled pretty much all of Israel because it's such a small country. Pretty much did everything you could do there. And then we went to Egypt and to a little town on the Red Sea called Dahab and that's where I got my uh, first diver's license, my open water diver's license, which is just such a beautiful place to do it on the Red Sea um, and extremely cheap as well. I think one of the cheapest places you can get your diver's license. Um, like my brother, he went on two dives. It included an uh, instructor, a guide, and the transportation out there. And I think he paid $12 for it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like it, it was just so cheap. So that's and I think, a place to go, huh? Yes. That is a place to go if you want to dive. And I think you can rent like a two, three bedroom apartment for like 50 bucks a month. It is definitely the cheapest country I've ever been to. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Egypt is, is amazing. But we only stayed there for about a week and I just stayed in one town. So it wasn't, I didn't get to explore too much of Egypt. After that, me 
and my brother, Nate, my oldest brother, we had both taken off a year from school. He was in medical school at this point. So he took a year off and then I just graduated high school. So I wanted to take a year off as well, which my parents really didn't want because they thought I was going to start traveling and never come back, which was almost happened. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so we we went down, we, my brother bought a car and we went down to Mexico and started in South Carolina, drove through and Monterey was, or Pachero Chico was the first place we stopped. And we only planned to be there for like a week and ended up staying about a month just because of I mean, the whole climbing community and everything, and the climbing here is just fantastic. Were you already a climber? Yeah, I had been climbing for just like a couple of years, I think, but it was never super consistent. It was just like going to like the gym every so often, going outdoors every so often, but I almost wouldn't consider myself a climber at that point, mm-hmm. I would think, yeah. After after leaving uh, Pachero Chico, we just kept on driving through Central Mexico, Stopped at a lot of really cool other climbing spots. Um, Pena de Bernal was one of them. Mm-hmm. I think it's the world's third biggest monolith. Um, but it's such a cool, old, like, Mexican town. Very, very pretty place. And very, very cool rock climbing. Drove through there. Kept on going down. We stayed in Mexico City for about a week. And then hopped around a bunch of other little towns. And then ended up in Oaxaca. Which is, like just where you want to go if you want surfing or hippie beach towns like yeah it's such a beautiful place so me and my brother split up there um i stayed at a place called zipolite and he was staying at a place called mazunte Mm -hmm. yeah we spent about a month there and at this point i was getting very very low on money so i had to figure out what i needed to do and i realized i had some friends that owed me money back home so I just basically started begging for that money like immediately. I think I had a negative a dollar and a half in my bank account. All right. And I was I was ready to to have a plan. I guess your mom and dad did not know that. No, no I, <laughs> I didn't want to tell them. Yeah. That's when you I'm, panic. My yeah. kids in another country yeah. with no, no money. money. <laughs> um, I'd also lost my phone at this point, so that was very annoying. But yeah, so for that last I think two or three weeks, I was basically living off of tortillas and raw vegetables and zucchini did you dumpster dive in mexico a little bit all right i, I had friends that, that's a new level yeah <laughs> <laughs> i had friends if we went out to eat i would basically just clean off all their plates and i mean I, I never felt like i was like suffering at any point like i still enjoyed all of it not to say that i wouldn't have enjoyed more money but um it was it was still a great experience i'm still very very glad it happened but then losing my phone is also a funny story some people came into the hostel we were staying at and they had puppies and so like they they were showing us the puppies like got us to come over i left my phone on the table and then i didn't think about it at the time but i realized that one of the guys had just walked away and so we were just petting the puppies and then went back to the table and my phone was gone some other of their um, belongings had been taken i mean props to them it was very smart i mean that is that is genius it's <laughs> like next puppy level. bait yeah it's it's gonna work every time too <laughs> oh my gosh i never thought about that yeah. so now i have to think when someone comes with puppies in the buo i need to be watching <laughs> yes i mean we've had like cute street kids come yeah. you know yeah. in and they like steal stuff but yeah. never had puppies yeah it oh works. my gosh they got me they gotcha <laughs> It wasn't like some, you know, beautiful woman off the no, street. No, exactly. I know. It was puppies. That's, that's what got me. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. I mean, sorry you lost your phone, but it <laughs> <Yeah>. is funny. 
<laughs> so you lost your phone. You can't even get in touch with your family. No, um, I mean, I'm already super bad with getting in touch with my my family when, and that's the same way for all of us when we're traveling. Like, I don't. I mean, I wouldn't talk to them for weeks at a time, and I don't know. But they're also used to it at the at the same time. I was able to go into town and like get on like some computer and let them know. But I had to like message my mom like three days before and just tell her when my airplane airplane arrived basically just hope she was going to show up there and hope that the airplane didn't change or anything right and so yeah we just saw each other like we talked and then saw each other three days later you know back in the day before we had technology we used to do that all the time (laughs) so you flew home from Oaxaca I flew home my brother kept on driving through he went back up um the like pacific side of Mexico but since I ran out of money I had to fly back yeah is so, his daughter named after the yes, town? Yeah. So Nate met uh, a girl in uh, Mazunte, and they ended up having a kid. It was unexpected. But, um, yeah, they are living together now in South Carolina, where Nate's also doing his residency. But they ended up naming the, the baby girl after uh, Mazunte. So we all call her Mazu, but for for short but her name is Mazunte and she's so cute oh man she's the greatest baby I've, I've ever met I don't know she's not she's definitely not your normal baby <laughs> she's, she's super she is, cool man, she is amazing that's really neat I mean it's so neat like thinking about that little part of the story too that yeah. you went to Mazunte you yeah. went there too right yeah. but you just didn't stay because I I met her like we went to like some national park and we camped for like a couple nights and that was the last time I saw her and I flew back and then like a couple months later, she was sitting in my living room and she was pregnant. I was like, holy cow. Wow. <laughs> it was so funny. That's neat, though. And now yeah. she's living in, yep. she's American, by the way, and yep. she's living in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And she's from like Portland. or She's from Portland. Oh, my gosh. That's I a can... big change. That's it's a funny. They have change. like uh, the LGBTQ flag on their like outside of their house and just in their neighborhood. Like no one else has that. I'm sure they always get strange looks like. It's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh man. Yeah, they're they're that's culture shock. Yes. They live in Greer, right? Yes. Yeah, Greer's a small town. Greer. <laughs> so now you're about to finish college, right? Another year? I have one more year after the semester. And what do you think about doing with your life? I mean, you have such a different perspective yeah. than peop- a lot of people at North Greenville, so Yeah. I mean, I'm really not sure. I'm a marketing major. The only reason that I decided to go to school is because my mom works there and I get to go there for tuition free. So that was the only thing that convinced me to go to school. Besides that, I would I would not be I would not be there. Um, so after I graduate, I don't have any plans. I might just get out and start pouring concrete. Mm-hmm. Like I really don't know. Um, just whatever is available. I definitely I definitely want to travel. Just when I get out, I'd like to find a job where I could work remotely, but I don't know. I'm not too concerned with staying in line with like what I'm majoring in. Sure. I'm, I'm open for pretty much anything because I feel like everyone tells you or I was told in school, like you probably make 30, 40 grand when you come, like when you, when you graduate and I'm already, I can already work construction and I can make like 30, 40 grand in the summer just by doing construction. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I might do like a mix of both of them. Like I can work seasonal work and then hopefully I can find some marketing job or, or something for, I have a couple friends in Washington that offered me a marketing job for their concrete company. So it's like kind of perfect, like <laughs> experience oh, yeah. in both of them. 
Um, Washington State. Yeah, Washington State. Do you think that you'll ever settle down? No, I I don't think so. It's definitely a possibility, but I just can't imagine myself having a house in one spot. I mm-hmm. just, I don't know. I don't like being tied down to like a certain place. Um, it might be nice to have like a base to go to, but I really don't see myself like staying in one place or owning a house for a long time. I don't know. I feel like it's just going to, I'm just going to be hopping around, but yeah, things could change. I don't know. It's interesting because you've got an older brother who's like a, doing his residency and this is a guy that traveled a lot. Yeah. And I don't know if he ever expected to settle yeah. down and have a family. I mean, the family part was a surprise. Yeah. You know, like, and now you see him mm-hmm. in a place, yeah. like, like, which he didn't expect. Is that weird for you? Is it like something that makes you pause and think about your future? Or? Absolutely. Um, it's so funny to think about our family and how different every single kid is. Like Nate, our oldest brother, he's a doctor and he has a family now, like you said. Um, I don't think he expected uh, some of that, but, and then you have Eli who is just, I don't know, a classic dirtbag hippie and he just travels around anywhere he can and just tries to live as cheap as he can. And then Thad, he works concrete, he's a construction guy. And then, I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. And uh-huh. then my little sister, she's she's a wild one. Um, and then same with Isaac, they're both they're very funny characters. So everyone in our family is just so different. I don't know. And I, I see myself in all of them for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, just different aspects, which I like a lot because my four like, or three older brothers pretty much raised me and like made who I was. Cause that's who I was always around. Yeah. So I see, yeah, I see a little bit of me and like all of them uh, for like Nate. I feel like we have almost like the, the same, like, uh, not like perfectionist. I'm not a perfectionist by any means, but I like to have like certain things, like uh, certain ways. Eli is kind of like the very like wild and adventurous side. And then Thad is like construction. And so all of them have just like combined together. And I, not that I'm not my own person, but I see myself in them so much that. I love the fact that your family has been through trials together and you guys are close. And I know that seeing my kids haven't been through kind of similar life mm-hmm. life changes you know being leaving one country moving to another country moving to another country mm-hmm. i feel like there's a little bit of a not a grieving of growing up but it is a, your family changes yeah with growing up like now your brother's got responsibilities yeah. like you guys are all growing up you only have two left yeah. in school right mm-hmm. Bes- i mean you're still in school three yeah. left in school what do you think about that like thinking about your family your brothers and everybody in 10 years like does that I'm honestly super excited especially for my my little siblings I really can't wait to see what they want to do because right now I mean they don't know what they want to do at all but just to see like who they'll become and like your influence in them I'm super excited and to see with my older siblings as well like I mean Nate we kind of see where he's gonna go like he's gonna be a doctor and he has that going for him. And then Eli, man, I, I have no idea. Same with Thad. I feel like Thad has found a really good uh, community of people. Everywhere he goes, he always finds a really good group of people. I'm actually really excited to see where like everyone ends up. 
and I've always thought that like just from being young like I can't wait for like my little siblings to like kind of reach a more mature age and like see what kind of like person they become it's very exciting for me I don't know I wonder if you guys will have family reunions at Look Up Lodge yes. every year. I so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if your parents plan to stay there. Yeah, like. um, I think so. My my parents are buying a house right down the road, and oh, cool. I think that's what they, they want to do is stay right around there. Because my mom also, she works at the college, teaches Spanish, so they both have, I think, pretty much their dream jobs. Mm-hmm. So I think that they're, that's going to be their, their resting place for now. Well, I look forward to seeing what happens to you in your life because, I mean, you are 22. You're just about to finish school, you know, another yep. year and who knows, but um, hopefully it'll bring you through the doors of the bull yeah. again. Oh, it will. And um, I love that there are people, so many people have such interesting stories, but yours is definitely like rare because we don't have a lot of missionary kids come through yeah. the bull, to be honest. Yeah. And um, I don't know, like... Uh, we don't have a lot of missionary kids come through the Buo that have had like worked with Indian tribes yeah. and there's not a lot of people in the world that have done that. No, I I don't know if I've really met any, at least in the same exact situation that we were like, mm-hmm. I mean, this tribe was completely untouched. Like no one even spoke the language, wow. which yeah, I props to my parents. I have the most respect for my parents. It is, it is insane what they've done. Yeah. I'm glad that you do because I think some people would be pretty ticked off at their parents yeah. for making them grow up. But you have such an like no, it was amazing opportunity in your life. Like I couldn't I have asked for anything else. I, I, I love the the life that they brought me. Basically, that's really great to hear. Yeah, because as as a missionary parent, yeah, I often <laughs> think of my kids like, are they going to need therapy yeah. the rest of their lives? Yeah. You know, for all the stuff that. <laughs> They had to go through and probably, or maybe, sorry kids if you're listening, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but there's like this guilt that parents have of taking their kids out of like suburban, like comfortable lifestyles. Mm -hmm. But so we have this guilt as um, parents of like, I think probably anybody, any parent feels like that, but maybe more so like when we've taken our kids out of like suburbia. But I love it because you are an interesting person Mm -hmm. that has like not a vanilla childhood (laughs) and um and it makes you an interesting person now yeah absolutely i think everyone in our family is super grateful for it too and it's definitely because we all have such wacky characters in our family and it definitely has come from living in like a jungle living with a tribe of indians to move into a big city in mexico to back in south carolina <laughs> that to me is probably the most like fish out of water yeah. thing is being back in greer and in it's so funny to think about my parents being from north and south carolina to move from there to venezuela like i don't know just somewhere else would have made more sense but from south carolina or maybe it's just for me and my my view my view of south carolina i just think of like very like redneck and southern and I don't know. Which your parents are not. No, no, not really. Well, my mom definitely is more so. Is she? Uh, her parents are. Not, not, I feel like she definitely has like a very like North Carolina, like country kind of feel to her. Oh my gosh. I need her to come to the Buo so yes, I can interview her. Because <laughs> it's only Tales from El Buo, you know. I'm yeah, not going to just like random. Yes, exactly. Michelle, come on down. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, mom. <laughs> yeah, we'll take her climbing. Yes. I mean, I'm all about taking mom's climbing, you know. <laughs> I am. Petro Chicas. That's right, Petro Chicas. I've actually had climbers like 
tell their moms, come down and Jan will go climbing with you. And yes. I've actually taken a climber's mom's climbing and it's oh, hilarious. That's so awesome. <laughs> and there's a, a route on, um, at the end of Motowell called Lisa's pizzas, which was done for a mom. Oh, nice. That she had cancer and her son was working down at mm-hmm. La Posada. Walter is the guy's name. Walter and Mike Burden bolted the route for his mom to come down and climb. Oh, and it's man, like a that's so sweet. five, five, I think. Yeah. Um, it's perfect. And so we've got like a couple perfect routes for taking oh, moms man. climbing. That's so awesome. So if you know any moms that are like a little interested, <laughs> <laughs> like Michelle, um, <laughs> come on down, you know, it's like really, it opens up like for a lot of parents to see their kid, like what their kids are doing yeah. and why it's so awesome. Yeah. Jacob, is there anything else that you think like we need to share about your life here on Tales from El Buo? So um, the family, the other family that we lived with in Venezuela, um, they lived down the river only about maybe 30 seconds by boat. But um, one night when the the husband was gone, uh, one of the Indians ended up going over to their house and um, she accidentally left the door unlocked and he went inside and... um, basically asked for the biggest knife that they had in the kitchen and like he he thought that or she thought that he was just going to use it for something but as soon as he gave it to her he started chasing her around the the table and actually ended up stabbing her in the back and it went all the way through her lung and it was about probably a six or eight inch knife and so we we rushed over and we had to bring her to the hospital or i mean it's an hour by boat hour or two by boat and then you get to the city and then you probably another 45 minutes just to get into like the town to where we could get to a hospital. That was probably one of the craziest nights that we all had. Um, she survived. Everything was fine. Um, but I remember they were looking for the, the guy who did it and the military came in and none of them wanted to go into the jungle cause they thought they were like, he still has a knife. Like they all just stood out there and like waited and then, but he eventually came out and, uh, basically just, I guess, surrendered. That was definitely one of the scariest things that, that happened to us down there. And there there are some things like that. The The tribe suffered um, from a lot of like uh, alcohol alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really hard to see that because there was a good bit going on. But that was one of the scarier things that happened with us. Do you know if he ended up going to jail? Yeah, he went to jail. But I mean, I think it was only for like a few years. Just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess being in like the the tribe there's just not a lot of consequences for a lot of the things you do down there did the lady the missionary lady stay oh yeah we we stayed for a little while after and then because they left whenever we left too okay yeah um but yeah and they actually when we went to mexico they ended up going to uh jordan and that's where they became missionaries for a while and now they live in atlanta Okay. Or at least some of them do. They're starting to spread out now as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How different it was for the kids and for my parents living in Venezuela because um, for the Indians, like, privacy wasn't exactly a thing. And so I didn't really notice this um, until, like, my parents were, like, talking about it, like, a couple years ago. But um, basically they would just come in our house and lay on our bed and do whatever they wanted or they just sit there and watch us cook for however long or even they try to like they just watch us like take showers and it was just completely normal to them and it was extremely hard for my parents because when you just have no privacy like day after day after day 
it it gets that was one of the biggest struggles for them definitely um for me i mean i didn't really care i didn't really even notice it even you didn't know any differently no yeah like i guess that was what i was just grew up like doing it was just normal it's always so weird to hear people ask if like it was weird growing up like in venezuela or something and like i mean it's not weird because that's what you started out like with knowing and so like moving back to the to the u.s like that was that was weird that was the weirdest thing that i could have possibly experienced like it is almost scary at that point yeah that's that whole third culture because your parents are american and they got it like that's moving home but for you guys it's like what in the world and like your parents (laughs) you didn't live in an american home you lived in an american household somewhat but you had the influence yeah it's still all the same like past um experiences and yeah but fortunately you were a kid so you're pretty moldable like moving back to exactly huh i wonder what that's gonna look like for you as an adult like like 30 years from now i mean not as you are an adult but like I think so as well because and it's also like you said like it's such a valuable time of your life Mm -hmm. so I feel like the first like 12 years of someone's life like that really influences who you are for the rest of your life for sure like Mm -hmm. you get all your like your moral groundings from there and like just how you view a lot of stuff so the fact that it was the first about 12 years of my life really makes a a huge difference on like the the future instead of like you said how like you may have lived in the U.S. and then you move somewhere else. It's much different than just that was how you started out. That's what you grew up with. That's crazy to think about. Not crazy yeah. as in local crazy. But yeah. do you think that you relate better to foreigners than you do Americans? Yes, for sure. At the school I go to now, I'm pretty much friends with like mainly the tennis team. And it's because all of them are foreigners. Like they have a couple of people that are like from the U.S., but everyone is... A foreigner there and I fit in much better than with the people that are from I guess like Greer and like South Carolina have you ever analyzed that why have you ever thought about that I think it's mainly because I find people in like South Carolina yeah South Carolina like the small town we were in to be just much more close-minded I guess and you don't get that sense as much I feel like with foreigners because they are coming from a different country like they chose to travel all the way over here so naturally they're probably going to be a little bit more open-minded or just have a different kind of mindset and Mm -hmm. people from a small town where they haven't moved out they they don't really you don't see the world in the same way and you don't appreciate a lot of things and so it almost seems like you're just talking about the same stuff over and over again so I'm definitely attracted to foreign or a lot of the foreigners at the school mm-hmm. just because of the way they think about things it's much different and well, very you are refreshing. A foreigner. yeah yeah that's also true i sometimes i don't think about it like that i guess just because i've been there for a while but it's always such a hard question when people ask me where i'm from like i just i don't know what to say like i mean yeah i'm from the u.s but i guess like Venezuela, Mexico, like, I don't know. I struggle with that question every time. I feel like I have a different answer. Like, it never stays the same. That is so normal for a third culture (laughs) kid, though. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the list, like, you know you're a third culture kid when, and when is, like, you don't know what the answer is to to (laughs) where I'm from. Or, um, I mean, yeah, your passport's U.S., but what about, like, the 
going deep in relationships because I think another thing that's common for people, um, third culture kids, and this is not just missionary kids, this is like military kids and yeah. stuff like that, is that they have a hard time going deep in relationships. They have a lot of friends, yeah. but like not a lot of like really, really deep friendships. How do you feel about that? Do you think that defines you or no? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I mean, I have really close friends, but I definitely wouldn't say that like I have like any like best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really close with a lot of people, but it is like, that was weirdly accurate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I feel like just cause I'm moving around so much, it is hard for me to like always want to get like, or get into a super deep relationship just because I'm never like standing still. I'm always just so interested in meeting new people, but I feel like that's one thing I actually do want to get a little better with is like really kind of getting to know like certain people a little bit more people that I really enjoy being around Mm -hmm. because I am just used to like kind of scratching the surface with a lot of people um and I have like not to say that I haven't gotten to know like a lot of people really well and I have like really great friends but it is just the fact that constantly moving it does make it hard to to really like have that that deep relationship that you're talking about for sure I haven't really thought about that, so it's very cool that you brought it up. Third culture kids actually relate really well to other third culture kids, but yeah. it's still hard because neither of them, none of them, are used to going deep. Yeah, it's like everybody's used to having lots of friends. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I know it is, isn't it? But that's cool that you want to work on it, and yeah. that means being intentional. Yeah. With it, so. Well, Jacob, I'm sorry to finish this up because, um, but we do need to get you on an airplane soon. Thank you so much for coming and uh, coming down to Mexico and spending time in this beautiful place. And I know like I'm thanking you for coming to Mexico, but (laughs) like really do appreciate it and your time here and sharing your story on Tales from El Buo. Um, And if there's any last thing you want to say about Mexico and the Buo and we'll finish it up there. I would also like to say thank you uh, for taking care of us down here and thank you for um, what you're doing through this like coffee shop. It's a really beautiful thing to see and to, to watch happen. I know you're helping a lot of people through it because I've seen people that have really enjoyed what you guys are doing and how you treat other people. So it's, it's very nice, very refreshing to, to see like um, just the love that's down here, honestly. So if you get a chance, definitely come to Petrero Chico and don't skip out on the Bujo because it is an amazing place to be. And we have great coffee. And fantastic coffee. (laughs) So thanks a lot for coming and uh, hopefully we'll have you back in a couple years and do a Jacob update. I will be back. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Tales from El Bujo. Hosted, recorded, and produced by me, Jam Millsaps. The theme song is El Jarabe Tapatio, performed by Mariachi Pulido. Please take the time to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and to recommend us to friends and family. If you're interested in supporting our efforts in Mexico, hit us up on Facebook or Instagram as El Buo Cafe. Links in the show notes. I look forward to sharing more stories with you here at Tales from El Buo.